0: You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabinus. Well, we're in a series called The Beautiful Community, A Mess Worth Making. And uh, after this series, we'll be teaching through the book of Acts, Uh, but right now we're talking about sort of a theme for the year which has been learning to love uh, cross-culturally and uh, so today we're going to continue that and and talk about the beautiful community and and what role unity has in the beautiful community you know I've heard it said that if you want to know what someone really values that you just need to look at their bank statement or credit card statement and their calendar because uh, What we spend our money on and what we spend our time on reveal our actual values. Now, we may have theoretical values of what we say is important to us, but where my money goes and where my time goes really reveals my actual values. I I, I heard that years ago. I think it's probably true, Uh, but I want to add a third indicator. I think another indicator of what really matters to us is what we pray about what we pray about, because the people and the circumstances and the desires of our heart that we bring to the Lord in prayer are things that really matter to us. They, they matter so much that we want our Heavenly Father to change something that we are facing for His glory. And I think if you want to know the heart of God and what matters to God, obviously you look at Jesus But even more specifically, I think we could say, look at Jesus' prayers, because what Jesus prays for is is ultimately important to him, and if it's important to him, it must be paramount in importance to us as well. So we're going to look today at John 17, which is a very moving prayer of Jesus. He's praying this at the end of his life. So the, the the prayer takes up all of chapter 17 of John. We're just going to look at the end of it. Uh, but then the very next scene in chapter 18, he is arrested. And then, of course, he is uh, tried and executed after that. So it's not only a prayer of Jesus which reveals something that's of value to him and to the Lord, but it, it's prayed at the at the eve of his death. And I've got to believe that what you're talking to God about right before your death is even more important um, because, of, uh, because of the context that you are in. So here's how John 17 works. Jesus prays in verses 1 through 5, uh, he prays that he will glorify the Father. That's, that's what he asks. In verses 6 through 19, he prays for his followers, those who are with him, uh, his disciples, Uh, Folks we know as the apostles, and then perhaps others that were with him as well. The passage we're going to look at is the last six verses of the chapter, and that's where he prays for his future followers. Uh, Not just his current followers, but this is specifically where he's praying for those who will follow him in the future. So let's uh, read John 17. Listen as I read to you uh, God's holy word. This prayer of our Lord Jesus right before the end of his life. And these know you, these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. As we walk through this section, I'm really going to focus on a few of the verses in particular. Uh, But I want to ask three questions about this section. and, And they are first of all, for whom is Jesus praying? Secondly, for what is Jesus praying? And thirdly, why is he praying this? For whom he is praying? We want to ask for what he is praying, and we're going to ask why he is he praying this? Well, first of all, for whom he is praying? He is praying for us. You see in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe. These only are these that he has just prayed for, those who are with him. So he's saying, I'm not just praying for the folks with me, but I'm praying for those who will believe because of their word, but they will believe in me through their word. So that means whoever the apostles would communicate the gospel to that would believe, he's praying for them. And that's us. Now, we, none of us have met an apostle or uh, this was 2000 years ago, but we have the apostles word right here. Their writing to us is right here. So those who would believe From the word of the apostles are those who would hear the gospel as we have and believe in Jesus Christ. This is a powerful scene because Jesus is on the verge of the most indescribable suffering imaginable. And in this moment when he is about to sacrifice himself and die as a substitute for our sins, he is praying for us. Feel that, let that rest on you, that the son of God about to enter the greatest anguish and suffering that anyone has ever faced has you as a believer on his heart. He is thinking about you, he sees you, and he prays for you, he prays for us. What what a compelling love. Many of us perhaps don't even think about that, that, that Jesus prayed for us and that he continues to make intercession for us even today. That the lord jesus has us on his heart so that's for whom he is praying in this section he's praying for us for what is he praying well verse 21 tells us the next verse that they meaning us may all be one just as you father are in me and i in you he prays for our unity that we his followers would be one now this is surprising this is surprising, because Jesus could have prayed for us. This is the only section of the prayer where he's praying for us. He could have prayed all kinds of things for us. And, and unity probably wouldn't be the first thing I would have thought of. I mean, he could have prayed for our success, our fruitfulness, that we would share the gospel all over the world. He, he could have prayed for our endurance, that we would make it to the end. He could have prayed for our cultural influence that we uh, would be sort of salt and light as he talked about elsewhere. He, He could have prayed that we would care for the poor, don't forget the needy. He could have prayed that we would be bold in our witness. But what he prays is that we would be one. We tend to think of unity as like an optional extra. That's kind of icing on the cake. If you can get that in a church, you want truth for sure, and we do unify around truth. You want truth, you want good friendships in the church, but if we could get overall unity, that would be a bonus. He didn't say it's a bonus. That's the priority of his prayer at the end of his life. It just shows how our values sometimes are not in sync with the Lord's. What what kind of unity does he envision? Well, he explains it. He says that they all may be one, verse 21, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he's saying that, that he's praying that our unity would be the same unity that he and the Father experienced together. I in you, you in me is what Jesus says. This is a this is sort of a mysterious kind of idea, but it's all over the New Testament. Our union with Christ, our union with God. It 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 shows up in the New Testament as language of we are in Christ, or we are with Christ. It's this reality that once we become a believer, we are spiritually joined in union with Jesus. And so the unity he prays for here is modeled because he says the Father and the Son, I and you, and you and me. This is a unity that's modeled in the Trinity. It's not only modeled; it's enabled by the Trinity. You and me, I and you. Now he doesn't mention the Holy Spirit here, but in the previous chapters in this section of John, he's talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. And uh, so this is the doctrine of the triune God and. And, and he says, "Just as 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 we are one, may they be one." The doctrine of the Trinity is a sort of a mind blower for us, right? It's hard to grasp what it all means, but we can make a few clear affirmations from the Scripture: is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinguishable from one another, and yet they are one. The, the way we've historically said it is god is three in persons three persons yet one being one being in three persons so we could say the father is not the son the father is not the spirit the son is not the spirit and the father is god the son is god the holy spirit is god and so in the trinity is this beautiful picture of distinguishable persons. There is a diversity in the Trinity, we could say, a diversity of, uh, of how each member of the Trinity sort of functions in relation to the other. The Father sends the Son, for instance. The Son prays at the beginning of this chapter to glorify the Father. So they're distinct, that there is a, a diversity here, but there's an absolute unity, each are God. And so that is to characterize our relationship together. He is saying, may the church be one, though diverse, may they still be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. This is how uh, commentator Mark Johnston says it. Johnston writes, the unity within the diversity of God's people for which he prays is a reflection of the unity within the diversity of the Godhead. It is also a unity that is totally dependent on God. It can only come about as the people of God on earth share in the fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit in heaven. It can only be accomplished by God. And it can only be accomplished, I think he's right, as we share in communion or fellowship with God. So in other words, Jesus doesn't say, go get unified. Everybody unify together. That's not what he says. He is praying that we will experience this sort of connection with God so that there will be a divine unity among God's people. This is a supernatural work. If this was accomplishable on our own, Jesus wouldn't be praying for it. I think the fact that Jesus is praying for it indicates that it's very difficult. It's very difficult. And so when he is about to go to the cross, or about to be arrested in chapter 18, when he is about to be arrested, and his normal ministry of teaching and healing, um, and sort of itinerant teaching and healing ministry, is that's about to come to an end right here. And he's about to be arrested, that in this moment he is thinking about the vital importance of us being one and he gives us the picture of the trinity and our connection to god uh, the trinity as the key for this and the world can never accomplish this look down at verse 25 he says "O righteous father even though the world does not know you i know you and these that you have sent me so he's saying here that the world doesn't know God. And if the world doesn't know God, the world can never look to Christ, for sal- will never look to Christ for salvation, uh, will never experience this unity that he prays for. This only happens through belief in Christ. And the world has all kinds of efforts to unify and to bring everyone together. But they ultimately fail because this involves a change of heart. A change of reality where we are spiritually one family in Jesus Christ. That This is something that Jesus dies for. He gives his life. When we celebrate communion today, we think about his body broken that we may be one. His blood shed that all of the sins that divide us could be forgiven. And that his spirit could empower us to live out this unity that he has accomplished and based on our union with Jesus now when we are, ever we're talking about the Trinity we are in the deep end of the theological pool for for sure and while I can't explain all that this means not for a lack of time but because of ignorance uh, I cannot explain all that this means I can say this that the unity he prays for comes in relation to God and so we must fix our eyes on God to see this kind of unity Our unity deepens as we focus on God, as we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and his work through the cross and resurrection. As our hearts are drawn to what God has done, then our unity grows together. I I love what A.W. Tozer said about focusing on God for unity. This is what Tozer wrote. 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other they are of one accord by being tuned not to each other but to one standard to which each one must individually bow so 100 worshipers meeting together each one looking away to christ are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God and strive for closer fellowship. So even this year as we're talking a lot about closer fellowship and we're talking about closer fellowship even in our differences, what does that look like, we're, we're not called to spend this this the theme of this year to spend our time just concentrating on ourselves and one another we are concentrating on the work of jesus which is the power to unify us it doesn't mean that we don't need to have some conversations But it does mean that the power to unify us is never ultimately merely through those conversations because the world has demonstrated that does not work. It's when the Holy Spirit, as we look to Christ, the Holy Spirit guides our hearts, guides our interactions, guides our fellowship, and joins us together as we focus on him. That's the power that we want to look to. Because we are looking to Jesus, we want to be unified in truth. Jesus is the truth. We're unified in the gospel. We want to be unified in his mission. We're not talking this year or we're not talking today about unity at the expense of truth. We do not compromise. Right here, we're talking about the Trinity. We're talking about the work of Christ. So we hold, uh, we must hold on to the orthodox truths of our faith from the scripture we're not saying let's just be together and we can, well, we, truth isn't that big of a deal. No, we do want to hold up biblical truth. And our unity springs from the truth of God's very nature. The beautiful community is a community of people spiritually joined to the triune God. And that's why Jesus is praying, oh Lord, may they be one. So, for whom is he praying? Us. For what is he praying? Our unity in God together why is he praying this well verse 21 tells us that they may all be one just as you father are in me and i in you that they also may be in us so that that's a purpose clause so that here's the reason in order that the world may believe that you have sent me and in case we don't get it there he repeats it in verse 23 i in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one, the word could also be translated completely one, so that we may be perfectly or completely one, so that, another purpose, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. What he is saying here is that he wants, he's praying the Father that we would be one so that the world would see Jesus is sent by the Father so that the world would believe that Jesus is who he says he is. In other words, he comes claiming to be the sent one to rescue a people for the Father through his death and resurrection. And he's saying here that the world will see that as our unity reveals Jesus because it reveals the power of of his death and resurrection. Our unity reveals the fruitfulness, the effectiveness of his death and resurrection. Jesus comes to bring salvation for those who will believe in him. And the fruit of his coming to bring salvation is that those who are saved are one and live that out in a visible, that they may see in a visible unity. I love how Eugene Peterson, who wrote a paraphrase of the Scripture, it's not a team of scholars, it's one guy, one pastor, he's a linguist, but he wrote a paraphrase of the Scripture that's called The Message. And I love how he paraphrases verse 23. He says, So they'll be as unified and together as we are, I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and love them in the same way you've loved me. I love that paraphrase. He's saying our unity gives a godless world evidence that the Father sent the Son. Can the godless world see the love of God And the truth of Jesus through the church's unity today. Not just at Grace Church, but the church more broadly in our culture. I mean, I thought about this. What kind of evidence is the evangelical church in the United States offering to a godless world that is looking on? If this is so important that we be one... So that the world may know Jesus, how are we doing? What are they seeing in the church? I'd like to be real this morning, if that's okay. As opposed to other Sundays when I'm fake, I don't know. That's not a very good question. (laughs) But if I could keep it real about this point because it's so important. If unity in the church is the evidence that Jesus is who he says he is, if unity is the evidence, I believe over the last few years, we, not they, we, as the evangelical church in the U.S., have provided the poorest evidence of who Jesus is in any season of the life where I've paid any attention and known in my lifetime. I can't speak for the history of this country. I can't speak, I, I, I just my, my sort of subjective view that over the last few years, we have provided the poorest evidence that Jesus is sent by the Father and that Jesus loves us than any other time in my memory. And there'd be some objective studies that could sort of prove that out, not just my anecdotal observation. I mean, people have left the evangelical church in the U.S. in droves over the past few years. And those who were Christians have, by their leaving, demonstrated, I'm not in union with you anymore. <clears throat> I'm out of here. So that would be one, one evidence. Um, there would be others as well. It, it's really heartbreaking, friends, what's happened. I, I'm, speaking, I'm speaking sort of broadly for the church in the u.s here that jesus pours out his heart to the father saying make them be one and then jesus goes to a trial where he is falsely accused jesus is nailed to a cross and bears the sins that we have committed past present and future all of our sins and thought indeed he bears them and And receives judgment and condemnation in our place. He dies the most excruciating death imaginable because he was bearing our sin. And then he's buried and raised. Pours out the spirit in Acts 2 that we may be one. And over the last few years, at the risk of drudging up bad memories, over the last few years, here's how we've treated that precious unity we've been willing to say i will separate from my brother and my sister in christ i will ignore the redemption of jesus that has unified us together and i will separate over with them over a mask and i don't care if you're for them against them and if you're having ptsd that i just brought up the subject But we've been willing to say, over a strip of cloth, and I realize it represents more than that, I get it. But over a strip of cloth, I will leave my brother. I will not attend a church that has this stand or that stand. I will separate from the family and find a family that agrees with me on this point. Because the point of unity is not the blood of Jesus. The point of unity is, do we stand the same on masks? I I had someone reach out to me I don't know if this person's here. I don't know the name. I had someone reach out to me during the pandemic and just send me an email and say, I just have one question. I'd like to visit your church. I have one question. So, usually, when I get asked that, it has something to do with reform theology or spiritual gifts or uh, men and women or LGBTQ or. Um, you know uh uh, minister i get asked this how are you guys reaching out to the city and those are all very good questions to ask they're doctrinally based this person said i just have one question what is your church's local church's stand on vaccines i just thought uh well we don't have a stand Uh, i have a personal opinion but i don't share my personal opinion as something to unify the church around that we're not we're not unifying around the pastor's opinion of vaccination we are unifying around the lord jesus christ and quite frankly i have very close friends very close friends that uh, i am in unity with in our church who have a different view and practice on vaccines than i do and we are one in jesus christ so we're, we're not we're not unifying around something like that i didn't say all that in the email i just said no we don't have a public stance on on that In the last few years, we have been willing to cut Christian relationships with a brother or sister for whom Jesus died and a unity that Jesus is praying for in his last hour because you don't vote like I vote. I don't know about masks and vaccines, but this one, it's live again. Kickoff was this week. (laughs) We had a debate. Kickoff, it's coming, folks. It's not even coming. It's here. It's election time. It's election season again, which is dreadful in the church. At least it was in 2020. And and so we've had people say, I'm not even going to speak to my own mom or dad who's a Christian anymore because we have a different view. And when they talk about their view, it's just toxic to me. That's the word that's often used. It's just just too much. They just talk too much about this candidate or that candidate. Now, we're Christians, but they emphasize that. I can't even go to their house. I can't even relate to this brother or sister anymore. Listen, if you can't relate to this brother or sister because because of their political position and who they're voting for, then maybe it's you that have political idolatry in your heart and not them. If you're willing to break the relationship Maybe the problem is that you're not valuing unity in the church. doesn't mean you don't need to talk to them and say, hey, can we put the secondary issue aside? I love you. Don't want to talk about it all the time. That's fine. But to say, no, I'm leaving. I'm not in the church because I got to community group and somebody said something sarcastic about my candidate. Somebody said, I couldn't believe there's people in the group that they vote this way. How could they even be Christian? Is this even a Christian church? Listen, we're not unifying around that. We're unifying around the Lord Jesus Christ and not allow secondary issues to bubble up and divide us. I'm just bringing this one up because it is live and I'd like to get out ahead of it. (laughs) I'd like to get out ahead of it. I told you last week, we do not take platforms here. We're not not emphasizing right or left, Republican or Democrat. We're, We're choosing the third way, which is kingdom of God with Jesus as king yeah and he elected us that's the amazing thing we didn't elect him we're the elect he elected us <laughs> as his own there you go um there have been situations where this is the third of the trifecta it it was covid it was politics a third is racial issues and we're having conversations about that some people are like wow why did you bring that up again the water's calm why are we talking about that again it's best to talk about it when the water's calm but there are people who said i am separating from them i'm separating from that church because i disagree with something that was communicated about race and yet i never had a conversation i never sat down with a brother or sister of a different race and had a conversation about that to hear their perspective which might or might not be mine so i'm willing to break unity i'm willing to to end a relationship i'm in, willing to switch my community group because my community group leader said this about race i'm willing to leave my church rather than sitting down and talking about said so this our unity is so vital could you please help me understand how you view this event i mean we had another one yesterday i had another shooting tragical, racially motivated shooting. Everything that's in the news would say that it was a a clearly racially motivated where some shooter went in in Jacksonville and shot multiple black people. He was wanting to kill black people uh, at a a store. So rather than saying, how does that land on you? Um, How are you doing as an African American when you see it? Rather than that, just to come with some position, some idea, some critique of the media, rather than weeping, rather than talking about it, we just say, no, I'm out of here. The church is starting to sound like the culture. Craig's up there saying stuff. It sounds just like the culture to me. I'm out of here. And and you know what's most grievous of all is that all these divisions have played out. The whole heartbreaking drama has played out on social media so that Christians are at each other at each other according to what Jesus says here every time you post on social media where you are at critiquing taking a shot at opposing another believer not in conversation privately here um, but but on social media just know the world sees that and says I want no part of that see the opposite of what Jesus says is true as well that they may be one so that the world may believe it would also be fair to say they display their disunity for the world, so the world says, I want no part of your Jesus. I, I respect him, but I have, want nothing to do with you people. You are just like the world. Why would I be a part of that? I can get that at work. I can get that in my own family. I can get that uh, online on some other forum. I can argue with people over all these issues and the thousands of other ones uh, anywhere. Why would I come to the church and have the exact same thing? Where is the difference? When our message of Christ's love and our examples are so far apart, it's no wonder that folks look on and say, you know what, that just sounds like more of the same noise I got everywhere else. I honestly believe, if what, I honestly believe what Jesus says here. And if it is true that he want, he's praying that we may be one so that the world may know, verse 21, and the world may believe, verse twenty actually I, I reverse those that the world may know verse 23 and that the world may believe verse 21 if that's why he's praying for our unity then I think we have to take if, if we have to take a strong view of our mission and what does it mean to reach our community and say where is this playing in I, I honestly believe the greatest barrier in the United States right now to people meeting Jesus the greatest barriers. It's not the LGBTQ agenda. It's not the liberal media. The greatest barrier is not the alt-right, people on the right or the left. That's not the greatest barrier. The greatest barrier to people meeting Jesus right now, according to John 17, is not the greed of Wall Street. It's not the immoral entertainment industry. The greatest barrier to people meeting Jesus in this country right now is not pornography, It's not the education system. It's not the universities. If John 17 is true and the world will see Jesus by the unity of his people, then the greatest barrier to evangelism in the U.S. is us. It's us. It's like look in the mirror and say, we we so quickly throw the persecution card and everybody's against us. And the world does oppose Jesus and his followers, absolutely. But we go there so quickly without ever looking in the mirror and saying, Maybe we are obscuring the glory of Jesus by the way we are at each other, divisively opposing one another. Now, that's all negative. Let's turn and transition, take a deep breath, and let's transition to something positive. What an opportunity this is, Grace Church. What an opportunity. I complain, man, I complain. I complain about a polarized culture but what an opportunity because the light shines brightest the darker the world is and so what an opportunity we have as a church we are a diverse church we're diverse ethnically we're diverse politically maybe you're new and didn't know that go oh whoa, really i thought i was getting in a church that was all this Uh, no, I've had people, (laughs) the last election, I would have someone tell me, come up to me privately from the church and share their point of view, man, I'm voting for this person in presidential election. I cannot believe that people in the church, some people are voting the other way. And then I have somebody else come up to me in the same week. Hey, I am voting this, the opposite one, I'm voting for this and I can't believe people vote the other way. And I'm thinking, I hope you two aren't in the same community group (laughs) and start sharing your point of view. It's going to get ugly fast. There is some diversity. I'm not saying it's 50-50, but I've never polled. I don't ask people. But there's some diversity here in the church, for sure. There's demographic diversity. There's different ages. Older people, younger people. There's diversity of national origin. Uh, We just heard from Caleb, 30 nations represented in the prayer guide you got today. There's diversity in life experience, in preferences, in expectations. And yet, we're one in Jesus Jesus is praying, may none of those things divide you. In this polarized climate, I believe the greatest witness the church has to point to Jesus through our actions is to be united in Jesus so that people look on and say, how did that happen? What is that God must be working there? That's not my idea. That's what he says in this prayer. That that we have such an opportunity to show the world that the Father sent the Son and the Father loves us just as the Father loves the Son. That's what verse 26 says. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That his love would be in us. Just as the Trinity is loving unity and diversity, so is the church. Our unity is not uniformity, but our unity of heart is mission critical if the gospel is going to advance in wherever. I'm just speaking for the U.S. Many of you from other countries, I can't address the context there because I just don't know it. But in the U.S. and in Frisco and surrounding communities, the gospel will go forth when the church has a loving, caring, unified position. Not a uniformity where everybody believes the same, acts the same, but No but a unity around Jesus so that the world looks on. This is how Erwin Entz, he wrote a book called The Beautiful Community. I stole this title for this series, but this is how he says it. He says the world should look at the church in amazement and wonder how did that happen? How did people with such differences come together and commit to staying together in spite of the difficulty? It is always gonna be difficult when a group of sinners are all thrown into the same community, it's easy to worship together on a Sunday morning. But to live out life in an organic, relational unity is messy and difficult. And so the question becomes for the world, how do those people stay together with all of those differences? We're in a season where we are focusing on learning to love cross-culturally, as you heard. And we started with the multi-ethnic um, multitude of, Re- of revelation seven and we saw every people every nation every tribe every tongue gathered before jesus not focused on one another but focused on the lamb in heaven so we talked about that uh and so we've we've been talking about that two weeks i'm not really talking about that today you're probably picking up um because cultures are different but not all differences are cultural there are other differences that we can have with one another. They don't all fall along the lines of ethnic disunity or something like that. The Bible speaks of us loving one another and to love people, that means loving people that are different than me, different than you. And that's very hard. And that's why the Savior's praying that the Father will unify us. Let's apply. Let me ask you a few questions for application then we're done. I want to ask, How are you doing at loving others in your small group as we've been having, starting to have some conversations recently around uh, loving cross-culturally? Some folks in the group are eager for the conversation. Some are neutral. Some are hesitant. Some are fearful. How are you relating to those who are at a different place than you are? Our, Our unity doesn't require that we all think alike. But having meaningful, loving conversations about differences is powerful. It's powerful because it draws us together and shows what we, what, we are, uh, what we believe in common, which is Jesus and his word. Um, but in our culture, people can't have the conversation. They're, they're not. People in our culture are not having the conversation where we say, I differ from you on these secondary issues, but I am with you, I am committed to you, I am praying for you, I love you, and nobody's gonna rip us apart. The culture doesn't have that conversation. You differ with somebody, you counsel them. You really differ from them. You just break the relationship off. That's how the culture works. So what a, what a way to be able to relate with gentleness, humility, and patience learning to do it in love. And while we've emphasized so far sort of the multi-ethnic church, there are other differences that separate us. Age is a significant one. Age is a significant difference that can separate us. I mean, if you look at the culture, where do baby boomers and Gen Z, members of Gen Z, where do they relate together with mutual respect, no eye rolls, no criticism, but they relate together? And the older people, the boomers say, yes, maybe they got more life experience, but they say, I need you as a younger person. And the younger person says to the older person, I respect you and I need you as well. And we are in the same family. When we cross generational lines with love, we're a healthier church. We're a healthier church. And our witness is strengthened. I was talking to a guy in the church not too long ago. He's a college student, this guy. And he mentioned his men's group i I, guess kind of an accountability group with men and i said who's in your group he started telling me who's in his group and i know those guys and they're 60s 70s 80s is their age he's in college i don't know 20 21. first of all that's brilliant because he's getting more wisdom than any of his friends i was in a college accountability group and i need young people but when i was in a college accountability group it, it was pooled ignorance okay I'm not saying this guy, I'm not saying you, but the, reali- but the reality is you can't have the experience that someone who's 80 years old has. You can't, it's not, it's not a fault, it's just your life experience. So first of all, that guy's the smartest guy in the room because he found people who are seasoned godly men and said, let me be in your group, brilliant. But secondly, what does that communicate? That these folks would be together sharing their lives. That does not happen <laughs> in the culture. We're called to love one another the way Christ loves us. How are you doing with your fellow church members? Is there anyone in the room that you're struggling to love with the love of Christ? Who acts different, believes differently? Ask God to change your heart. Is there anyone that you're judging unkindly in your heart? Anyone that you're critical of? Maybe even more. Anyone you're bitter toward in the church? Anyone you haven't forgiven? Is there anyone in the church that you've judged self-righteously? That usually comes across with this, I can't believe they think that. Given that I'm superior in every way. I can't believe they said that, they think that, they believe that, really? Jesus died for the sins of self-righteousness and unkind judgment, uncharitable judgment. Jesus died for our bitterness and our unforgiveness. Jesus died that we would be forgiven and that we would be one and extend forgiveness to one another so that the world may know. We think mission starts out there, and mission is out there, but mission starts right here because this is our witness, to have words communicate the good news, evangelize, share the gospel, and to have some kind of model, broken, growing, learning, long way to go, but a model that gives credibility to the message, a model that matches the message, that shows that Jesus was sent by the Father and that he loves us. We're going to close with communion because what better way to communicate the unity we experience in Jesus Christ. If you would stand together and the band would come. I'm going to read you another verse from John a few verses before John 13 verses 34 through 35 this is what it says a new commandment I give you Jesus says that you may love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another that's amazing because I would think it would say this is how people will know you're my disciples if you love them they'll know you're my disciples if you love them that's true But he says, they will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And so as we come to the table today, maybe you need to ask forgiveness. Maybe you need to go to someone in the room or make an appointment to talk with them afterwards or grab them after the service. I don't know, but maybe you need to have a conversation. But we are receiving the Lord's Supper because the Lord loved us enough for his body broken, his blood to be shed, to give us forgiveness and new life and to give us a mission that he desires to accomplish.